Turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, a new series of studies on Sunday mornings now for the next number of weeks. We'll see how long that takes, but the book of Hebrews and looking forward to this study. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, as we look into the scriptures this morning. I was on a plane with someone this week and on the way back, and the fellow asked him, we were talking to him about his church, and he said, the difficulty with the church I've been going to, he says, we get together and we sing and we sing and we sing. He says, but we never open up our Bibles. I'm thinking, my word, what's all that about? When I come to church, I want to open up our Bibles. I want to see what the Bible has to say. Praise God for the music. And hadn't the music been wonderful this morning? But it's time now to open up God's word and let's see what he has to say to us. God, who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he hath by himself purged our sins, set down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels." As he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And we'll lead off our reading right there. The title of the message this morning is Jesus is so much better. Jesus is so much better. This morning as we begin this study out of the book of Hebrews. I I turn our attention to what I would consider to be the the crown jewel of the New Testament. If I could pick out a book or maybe two books of all the New Testament, that I would say, Mud, these are indispensable. And by the way, all the Bible is indispensable. Don't get me wrong with what I'm trying to say here. But two books that are so deep in theology and understanding and significance to our walk as Christians and to our need to be Christians, I would dare say that Romans is one of those books, and we've had the privilege, we've preached through Romans a number of years back, and maybe at some point in time we'll do it again. But another of those books, I believe, is the book of Hebrews. I have for quite some time, as we've been praying and thinking about, contemplating, we finish up the book of Mark on Sunday mornings. Lord, where do you want us to go? And for really all of the time I've been preaching, I've wanted to preach through the book of Hebrews. This is the first time that I've been able to do that. And I felt like that even through this trip, the Lord confirmed that the book of Hebrews is the place where we are to be. And part of that confirmation was, yes, the Lord dealing in my heart because I wanted to do it. But part of that was being in a, uh, on part of our trip this week. When in Denmark this past week, we visited a, a castle. It's called the Rosenborg Castle. Uh, it was there in the heart of Copenhagen. And is one of the castles of the earliest kings of Denmark. Frederick uh, was the, one of the first kings. This dates all the way back to the 1500s. Fellow by the name of Christian the Fourth, interesting name. Uh, the earliest, some of the earliest kings of Denmark. Christian the Fourth built this castle, and it was a place where he lived. And in the lowest section of the castle, the, they it housed there the the king and queen's jewels were on display. And you could walk in the bottom of this castle. It was all rock, and it was just a beautiful place. But the the jewelry of the king was there on display, that of the king and the queen. Now, I will honestly say that I looked at some of these 
writings and these names are on the wall. And I found a fellow by the name of Charles. That's my given name. And I thought, well, maybe I can lay claim to a few of these things. But I just couldn't do it. And Angie would have enjoyed that. But just a different line for sure. But as we go down into this lower part of this castle, all sorts of royal jewelry on display and things that are literally priceless, not only by way of historical significance dating back to the 1500s and even prior to that, but the beauty was just quite astounding. But the, the, the sheer size and the abundance of all that had been preserved and all that was on display there. And there as you walked into this this room, this area there, uh, there was a, a Goliath of a Dane standing there. I mean, this guy was a monster of a man. And he was one of those guys that just looked at you and kind of, you felt like he was grunting at you when you walked by him. And you walked by him being very careful. He was there standing on guard. One of those guys could break you like a toothpick if he had got out of line. And outside the castle, there are uh, men who are dressed in military fatigues and they've got their bayonets attached to the rifles and they're walking around in that kind of place. So it's quite significant, but a little bit foreboding and just um, awareness of where you are. And all the, the glory and the grandeur of seeing all the, the kings and the queens jewelry that's on display. In the center of a large room there with light shining upon it. Somewhat darkened all around but light shining in a significant place. There stood a pedestal. On that pedestal, it was about two or three inches of it, I'm assuming, plexiglass thick, very thick uh, plexiglass there. And inside that case stood the, uh, the, the king's crown, the crown of the king. It weighs seven pounds, uh, seven pounds of gold with so many diamonds that could not even number them. Uh, rubies, garnets, sapphires, pearls, finely intricate carvings of ivory depicting angels, symbols of monarchy, dragons, lions, elephants. It was something uh, that really you can't describe. And many of you, I'm sure you've seen these kinds of things. But for me, this was quite something uh, to behold. I've never seen anything quite like that. Uh, it, for me to try to describe it really couldn't do you justice. The crown of monarchy, simply amazing. At that time, it was what was called an absolute monarchy. They called it that because one man, the king, had uh, part of the royal family. It was invested within him the complete power and authority, an absolute monarchy, holding the power of life and death, For all of his subjects within the nation, he held that within his own, the things he said, that's what took place. If he decreed one way or another way, that was the law of the land. We were in one place in one large chapel and there was an inscription that I noted that said there, and it said this, King Edward VII, King of Great Britain and Ireland and of the British domains beyond the sea, defender of the faith, emperor of India, and the plaque said he was a king among kings. And then this caught my attention. These words, they stood out. Blessed be the king of kings. It mentioned a man 
that said of this man, he was a king among kings. But blessed be the king of kings. In all of that royalty, they recognized a king, but at least they recognized the king. The king of heaven. Although I'm sure they did not have full understanding or or had laid aside in their thoughts and their process of really what this king of kings is and who he is rather. And as I begin to think about that and those kinds of things begin to gather my attention, uh, the Lord just seemed to confirm in my heart that the book of Hebrews is where we are to go because in Hebrews we find the crown jewels of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on display in the book of Hebrews. It is quite amazing. And I encourage you to read it, not just as we gather on Sunday mornings, but read it throughout the week in uh, leading up to our gathering, our preaching through the book. And this, at this point, as we think about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, uh, what we find here is a king out of the book of Hebrews. And I want to point our attention very quickly to chapter number 7. Chapter number 7, and we find that Jesus Christ is a king, he's a prophet, Uh, He's a priest in all of these things, and Jesus is simply better. When we think about kings, uh, I want us to think about the king, Jesus Christ, and look with me at Hebrews chapter 7. And I want us to see here out of this passage the superiority of one king over all kings. The superiority of one king over all kings. Uh, Hebrews 7 verses 1 through 4. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, high, uh, excuse me, priest of the Most High, God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Here this Melchizedek, we'll come back to this as we work our way through, but this morning, just as we think about the introduction of the book of Hebrews, I want us to see the superiority of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Here he mentions a man by the name of Melchizedek. It says he's the king of Salem, priest of the Most High. Abraham was returning from the slaughter of the kings. These are earthly kings. And he's met by a man by the name of Melchizedek, the Bible tells us. Abraham tells us, the Bible tells us that Abraham gave a tenth, a tithe of all his spoil to this particular king. I think that's significant. He gave a tithe, a tenth of all of his spoil to this king. And in verse number 2, it tells us who this king, this Melchizedek is. He's without, excuse me, he's the king of righteousness and he's the king of Salem. The word Salem means peace. Spurgeon said that you'll never have peace until you have righteousness. He's the king of righteousness and therefore the king of peace. Verse number 3 says he's without father, without mother, without a uh, uh, beginning, without a beginning and without an ending. He abideth a priest continually, verse number 4 says. 
He's made like unto the Son of God, verse 4 says. Now consider how great this man was. He says, now consider how great this man was. Melchizedek, I believe, is an Old Testament appearance, a pre-incarnation of none other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our Savior, Jesus Christ. The King of Righteousness, the King of Peace. Paul calls the king, this Jesus, the king, he calls him the only potentate, the ruler of all. If you'll go with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter number 19 this morning. Revelation chapter number 19, verses 15 and 16. Revelation 19, verses 15 and 16. Stay with me here this morning. It's going to get better as we go forward. I said to someone earlier, if I, my body time clock is a little off. So if I join some of you in sleep this morning during the preaching, you'll understand. So let's all try to stay together and keep up with what the Bible has to say. Revelation chapter 19, verses 15 and 16. We're talking about the king of kings. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he shall smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture... On his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hebrews sets on display for all to see the crown jewels of Jesus Christ. And he, this Jesus, this king, smashes into the dust and makes powder out of all the other kings. Jesus is left standing. The word better. It's a wonderful word. The word better is used 13 times in the book of Hebrews. And it's all about a Jesus that's better. A Jesus that's superior. Uh, the superior and better than anything or anyone else. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Uh, Hebrews 1 and verse number 4. It says this phrase, so Much better. So much better. Let that sink in to your hearts. When we think about who Jesus is, he is so much better. In chapter 7 and verse number 19, we see that he's a better hope. In chapter 7 and verse number 22, he's a better testament. In chapter 6 and verse number 8, he's a better mediator. In chapter 9 and verse number 23, he's a better sacrifice. In chapter 10 and verse number 34, he's a better substance. In chapter 11 and verse number 35, he's a better resurrection. He's better than the angels. He's a better prophet. He's a better priest. He's a better king. And he is our better hope this morning. He is our only hope. The theme of the book of Hebrews is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Someone says, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Well, I don't have the answer to that question. I will personally say that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. If you ask me for someone who penned it, I won't argue with you. And someone would say things differently. So if you hear me uh, in preaching the book of Hebrews say, Paul wrote, just understand that's where I stand. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit wrote it. 
So we come to the book of Hebrews and we understand this is penned by the hand of God himself. He used a human instrument, but God penned it. So it's God speaking about God. God telling us who he is. The Hebrews, the writers, the the audience, the Jewish audience, thus the name Hebrews. These, some were Christians, some were not, possibly suffering for their faith. It was written to show these believers the superiority of Christ. If you're a a Jew in that time period and you've come out of Judaism and you've come to know Christ and you're beginning to suffer persecution, it's there to convince and to show you of the superiority of Christ, the superiority over Judaism and all other man-made religions. Christ is superior. It's written to spur these believers on in their faith. It's written even a way to rebuke them, to wake them up and get them moving out for Christ. Look with me at Hebrews chapter number 5. Hebrews chapter number 5, verses 11 and 12. He's speaking of those Christians who were just kind of on the outside looking in. Some of those who were just sitting on the bench, not part of the battle. He's spurring them on. He says in chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. It wouldn't matter they needed a hearing aid to hear better. It was simply the fact they just needed to tune in to what God was saying and obey the word of God. For when, verse 12, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. They were... They were, these people, they were, they were dull of hearing. Too many of these Christians were dull of their hearing. Uh, and there are, there are people that were there then like that. And let me just simply add, there are people like that here still today. People that are dull of hearing. Need to have gone on by now. They should have gone on to be teachers of the word of God. Helping others to come to know the Lord. Growing in their faith. But to going back over and have the, being stuck and can't get over that one issue or this issue in their lives. So they have to go back over and over it again. The word dull, in, in essence, really it means sluggish, lazy, slothful. Hebrews 6 and 12, be not slothful, but show diligence. Don't be slothful as a Christian. Don't become lazy as a Christian. Don't get sluggish in following after the Lord. There are too many lazy Christians wasting time then. And there are too many lazy Christians wasting time now. The night cometh when no man can work. If we're going to do anything for the Lord, we're going to have to... Do that for the Lord here and now. Do it today. Paul is writing to wake us up and get us busy growing and living for the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me read you verse number 1. Wherefore seeing 
We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let me ask you this morning. Are you running the race for Jesus Christ? Or have you been sidelined? Have you just set out? Are you watching others do it? Are you in the race, running the race for the Lord? Paul is writing this to spur us on, to get us in the battle. Next, he's writing to encourage us in the faith. Those who are living for the Lord, to encourage you in the faith, to keep on keeping on. Hebrews chapter number 11 Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful chapter that is in all the Bible. Hebrews chapter number 11 takes us on a guided tour down the great hall of faith. And the Bible tells us there that without faith, it is impossible to please God. We go through that great hall of faith and time and time again, name after name is mentioned. And even through the most difficult circumstances of life, the Bible encourages us to keep going on by faith. God always rewards faith. He has to. He promises to. Hebrews also comforts the lost. And he confronts the lost that needs to be saved. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 3. Here he's dealing with people that need to be saved. If you're here this morning without Jesus Christ, you're watching by way of live stream. You don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Hebrews has a word for you as well. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us, us by them that heard him? How shall we escape if we neglect? Don't neglect the salvation of Jesus Christ. He came to this earth to die on the cross so that every man, woman, boy, and girl could come to know Him as their personal Lord and Savior. Don't neglect it. Don't set it aside. Don't say, one day I will. That one day may never come. None of us got up this morning planning on this being the last day. We mentioned birthdays. We mentioned anniversaries, all wonderful days. I didn't mention any because I don't know any death days. And I'm glad for that. But the Bible says it's appointed that a man wants to die. That day is already set in stone. God knows it and God's already got it. And it's waiting for us all. So don't say, I'll have tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, was there a time when you accepted Him? Was there a time when you recognized your need for salvation? And you got on your knees and you called upon the Lord. You agreed with God. God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know that that I have sinned against you. I've wronged you. And so I acknowledge that. I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and create a new life in me. When did that happen? When did you do that? And when you did that, did your life change? Have you become a new creature in Christ? When did all things pass away and all things become new? And so many people, just like in the country of Denmark and other places across the world, they'll join a church. 
They'll do some act, but their life has never changed. There's never been a relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's not joining a church. It's not being baptized into a church. It's being saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Don't neglect the salvation. Don't neglect it this morning. So he's writing to those people. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 1. It begins with this. It begins with a word. I like it. It begins with God. It begins with God. That's superiority. When we think of God, we think of superiority coupled with authority. Superiority coupled with authority. Hebrews does not set out to prove The existence of God, it just simply states the facts and starts with the only one true God, God himself. The God of the Bible. Not only does the the book start with God, but all of life starts with God. All of life starts with God. It would do a bunch of liberal politicians, it would do them good. In America today, to recognize that life begins with God. That life starts with God. It's in His hands. And they'd recognize that and stop trying to play God themselves. Life does not start, nor should it end, with what they say. It starts and it ends with what God says. This past week, we've understood that The Democrats in Congress have tried to pass a a bill that would guarantee abortion, possibly even up to the point of labor, very close to it. They called it the Women's Health Protection Act. What a misnomer. What about the Child Protection Act? Where's the protection for the young? Where's the protection for the child in all of this? The Women's Protection Act. What a farce all of that is. It would do them good to recognize that God is in control. God not, will not allow uh, a nation to go unpunished who continues to murder innocent children in and out of the womb. God will not overlook it. And we look into our world today. We see a stock market that's in chaos. We see a society that's living in fear. Why all of this? I believe God is removing his hand of protection from a nation. And we see it all around us. And what we have seen in, just in our travels, and many of you have seen the same thing. We've seen nation, a nation that has rejected God and they've been now left over to their own devices. And we come back to America and we say, we see what we have here. And it, it should put a, a, a fear and a hunger and a desire within every American. Not necessarily for a patriotism. But it ought to put a fear of God into our lives. That we're walking away from the truth of God's word. And God, when he removes his hand, we suffer the consequences of these kinds of things. I spoke to some Danish people who spoke of America. And we began to talk about different things. And he asked me some questions. And I would say to him, you know, this is going on. This is going on. This is going on. And this gentleman had lived in Sweden. He had lived now in Denmark. And this is his response to me. He says, you Americans. He says, 
as bad as you think you have it, it's better than we have it. It's better than we have it. And so it just caused me to have caution and caused me to, to set up and listen. God has blessed us for all of these years. But it's God that's in control. It's not a group of politicians. And may God send revival to America. And revival will start in a place just like this. It's not revival for them. It's not revival for them. It's not revival for them that are out west in places we don't agree with. It's revival begins in the house of God. That's with us. Where we are. God says that he's going to judge it. Proverbs 6, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. God is superior in his person. He's superior in his place. And he's superior in his authority. If we go back to verse number 1 and I'll just give you some thoughts. And again, just introduction this morning. We see God's communication. Verse number one, God's communication. If you're taking notes, you can start right here. God's communication, number one. God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. God's communication. He spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. God is a God of communication. A fool will deny the existence of God. A fool will ignore the voice of God. He has spoken. God spoke through his prophets. Read them for yourself. Go back and read the Old Testament. Read them for yourself. God has spoken to mankind through his word. We have the preserved word of God. God's communication is literally God's revelation. It's His revelation. The Old Testament scriptures are full of God's revelation to us. God's communication to us. The Old Testament scriptures point to a person. They point to a person. The New Testament scriptures reveal who that person is. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The communication of God in the Old Testament points to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. You might call the Old Testament communication from God, the preparation in former days. Then when you come to the, the Gospels, the New Testament, you have the last days and we have the presentation. The preparation and then the presentation of Jesus Christ. The presentation at His birth. The angels announced him. The presentation at his baptism. John the Baptist pointed to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Holy Spirit came down and anointed him and his work. The presentation at his baptism. The presentation in his life. All the miracles that he did. All the wonders that he did. The the, the crowds that gathered around him. Jesus healed them all. Revelation is complete in Jesus Christ. Hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Revelation is complete 
in Jesus Christ. Christ is superior in Revelation. The Old Testament scriptures and so many people today. I know of people that say let's go back to the Old Testament way of life. No, I like the New Testament. Why? Because that's when the Bible describes and prescribes for us. The way of Christ, not to go back and to live under some Old Testament law, keeping some Old Testament feast, but to come into the New Testament and to have new life in Christ. Not to try to save myself and do better and work harder, but to have grace in Jesus Christ. Not grace that allows me to sin, but the grace that keeps me from sin. Jesus is superior in his revelation. He is the Son, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. The express image, the Bible tells us. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. Christ is superior in his revelation. Christ is superior in creation. Look at verse number 2 again. He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Look at verse number 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. Christ is superior in creation. He was not created, but he created everything. No evolution here. Not in the Bible. We go back and read the account of the book of Genesis. He spoke it all into existence. He made the world in literal six days. He's superior in his revelation. He's superior in his creation. He's superior in his administration. Look at verse number 3. The latter part. The second part, let's just read the, the, down to the middle of verse number 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. He's upholding, not only is he superior in his creation, but he's superior in his administration. Upholding all things. The word uphold has the idea of to support or to maintain. or It's present tense here. He's upholding, he's doing it now. God is upholding, Jesus Christ is keeping all things together. If you take just simply the tilt of where we are, the tilt of the earth and the rotation of the earth, the distance of the earth to the sun, if it was a few degrees one way or another, would either burn to ashes or we would freeze to blocks of ice. God put it exactly where he needed to be. The distance of the moon that controls the tides... There's no such thing as Mother Earth. Let me just say that again. There's no such thing as Mother Earth. But there is Sustainer God. Sustainer God. Global warming and the fear mongers that produce this kind of thing. Think man's in control. But no, God's in control. God's in control. Every discovery of nature is a discovery of the superiority of the administration of God upon planted earth. We see the superiority of his administration. But then he goes on. We see the superiority of his salvation. Verse number 3. He goes on to say, 
And we have by himself purged our sins. Boy, if you haven't underlined that, highlighted that in your Bible, you need to do so. The superiority of his salvation. By himself purged our sins. Just that statement of truth alone destroys all the other perceived ways of salvation. By himself purged, cleansed, removed. They do not exist. By himself, the superiority of just that statement. This distances him. This destroys Judaism. This destroys Hinduism. This destroys Buddhism. This destroys humanism. Because it's only by Jesus Christ. He purged our sins. He deals with sin. He dealt with sin once and for all. What every religion of the world tries and fails to do, he alone has done. When he was up on the cross, he said, it is finished. Purged, forgave, paid the penalty for sins. John 1 and 7, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin. You think of the I am statements of the Bible. The superiority of his salvation. Think of I am the vine. I am the bread of life. I am the light. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The superiority of his salvation. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. The superiority of his salvation. Then we come to this one and we'll close. Christ is not only superior in his revelation, superior in his creation, in his administration, his salvation, but I want you to notice this one. Christ is superior in his exaltation. Look at verse number three, the latter part. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, who being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels saith he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be unto me a son. And again, when he bringeth, into the first, bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. The superiority of his exaltation. Verse 7, And of the angels... He saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto his son he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Here we see the superiority of his exaltation. Philippians 2 and 9, who hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. The Bible tells us in this regards this exaltation that he sat down in the place of honor. He sat down in the place of honor. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. A reserved place. A place of honor. He sat down in the position of authority. The right 
hand of God the Father. The place of honor, the position of authority. He sat down for the purpose of worship. For the purpose of worship. That all the world may worship Him. Then we sing the songs. The choir sang today. The song out of your hymnal. When we gather this morning. What are we gathering to do? We're gathering to worship. He sat down to worship. To be worshipped. The angels they worship Him. We are to worship Him. He sat down for the provision of prayer. Come boldly into the throne of grace. He sat down for the provision he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Here in Hebrews, we have the king. We have the king and all of his jewelry on display. There in those castles, you see the jewelry. But you don't see a person. You just see what's left. But here, you see the person of Jesus Christ. Crowned forever and ever. The issue today is... So many people refuse to be a subject of the king. So many people refuse the authority and the superiority of Jesus Christ. I'll do it my way. I'll go my way. I don't need that God. He is God in his place, in his authority, his supremacy. And whether you like to agree it or not, whether the the world likes to recognize it or not, he's still God over all. And those who reject him today will one day bow their knees to him because of who he is. Oh, we look into Hebrews and we see the superiority of Jesus Christ. And it goes on and it even gets better. Do you know him today? Is he supreme in your life? Are you saved? If you die today, is heaven your home? Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Father, we thank you for this wonderful picture of of who Jesus is out of the book of Hebrews. Lord, I pray that it not just be something we take a glance at and walk away from and forget. Lord, may we receive, receive the person of Jesus Christ into our hearts and lives by way of salvation, a personal relationship, not through way of baptism. Baptism never saved anybody, but it's a personal relationship. There's anyone here today that does not have that personal relationship. They may have been dipped. They may have been sprinkled. They may have performed some ritual. That didn't save them. Or they must be born again. They must have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray that today, if there's anyone here, if there's anyone listening by way of live stream, that that's the one that you're dealing with. That describes that individual. May today be the day of saving faith. I pray for the Christian today as well. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see your superiority and be willing to live for you. Lord, be willing to tell a lost world about you, to carry the truth of God's word, to live righteously in a wicked and perverse generation. Maybe there's something in our lives that's keeping us back. We're hanging on to some besetting sin. Maybe we've become lazy In our walk with the Lord, may today be the day that we would simply get up and go on for Christ. Some may are discouraged today. Lord, may we be encouraged in our faith. You reward it. You did then, you will in our lives as well. So Lord, now help us, we pray.